Welcome back to one of the highlights of our weekly broadcasts here at Secure Freedom Radio, and that is our visit each week with Gordon Chang, one of our country's duty experts on, well, China most especially, but more broadly, American interests in the Far East. He is a a highly acclaimed author, among other things, of The Coming Collapse of China. He is a very active contributor in the periodic literature, among other places, uh, at Newsweek and The Hill. And he is also a senior and very distinguished fellow of the Gatestone Institute. You may have caught him in uh, his appearances at uh, CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference in Dallas most recently. And I hope you are doing as I do, and that is follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, it's good to have you back as always. Welcome, sir. Oh, well, thank you so much, Frank. We were talking in the previous segment with Grant Newsom, Gordon, about uh, the threats that China is currently expressing towards Taiwan. Um, a lot of uh, posturing, perhaps, but also a lot of ominous capabilities seemingly now being brought to bear. Uh, the question is, uh, will they simply try to coerce Taiwan into acquiescing to their reunion or their union, as the case may be, depending on who you're talking to, um, with the mainland, or will they actually go to war? And I wanted to ask you both for your thoughts on that subject. But um, in addition, uh, the kinds of threats that they're, the Chinese Communist Party is now making towards Japan over its indications that it would come to Taiwan's assistance, along with the United States, uh, should China act aggressively towards the island? The threats to use nuclear weapons on Japan um, show that deterrence is eroding fast. You know, when you go back over a series of presidents, um, we have uh, ignored China's threats to use these weapons. Um, and I think it's now time for the president of the United States to say publicly that the United States will defend its allies, friends, and partners with all of its weapons because we need to reestablish deterrence. Right now, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, has a very low threshold of risk, much lower than we think, so he can surprise us. But we also need to put this into context because many of Beijing's friends are now saying, well, you can't defend Taiwan because there will be war. Yes, but we've also got to remember a couple of reasons why China will not go to war. One of them is that uh, in order to go to war, Xi Jinping has to give some general or admiral control of all or most of China's military. That would make that individual the most powerful figure in China. And Xi Jinping is not about to do that. The other thing is more um, uh, broadly uh, uh, based in the Communist Party's um, ideology and its purposes. The number one goal of Chinese foreign policy is not to take over Taiwan. The number one goal of China's foreign policy is to keep the Communist Party in power. And although Xi Jinping would correctly think that he could take Taiwan in a purely conventional fight, because I think that there's a real substantial possibility of that, the point is he probably wouldn't do it because he realized the casualties would be horrendous and those horrendous casualties would probably lead to the fall of the Communist Party. So even if he thinks he can, um, there are a lot of reasons why he won't. But nonetheless, um, the mo most important point is that deterrence is breaking down and we need to reestablish it. Those two considerations for Xi are very interesting, Gordon, and I haven't heard them mentioned by others. Um, just to develop this a little bit further, um, specifically on the question of the delegation of authority to some powerful commander 
in the field. Um, is it not the case that the the Chinese Communist Party ab absolutely controls the People's Liberation Army? It's effectively their army rather than China's, and that the the military commission or whatever they call it uh, in China is the body through which Xi exercises control. Would that have to devolve uh, just by the very nature of warfare that you have to have the commanders in the field have the authority as well as the responsibility? And is, is that really a check on, I guess, uh, Xi's uh, latitude in, in going to war? Well, as a practical matter, I, I do think that it is a check um, because as a practical matter, that individual would um, have control. Now, as a technical matter, we've got to remember that the People's Liberation Army, as you point out, Frank, is not a state army. It is a party army. It's a profit army in a sense, um, because it reports to the Central Military Commission. Now, there are two central military commissions in China. One is a state one. One is a party one. The state one is a non-entity. Uh, it's even less useful than an appendix. Um, the real body is the party's Central Military Commission, and Xi Jinping is chairman of that commission. So that does put him in the chain of command. Uh, and that does make him, at least in peacetime, the most powerful person. Because some people actually say that his role as chairman of the Central Military Commission is far more or is as important or even more important than his role as general secretary of the Communist Party. Um, but as a practical matter, Frank, you know, the Chinese um, don't even let their military units even at low levels, move without uh, approval at the highest level of the of the part of the army and the party itself, civilian officials. So this really is an issue in China. Um, it's not like the U.S., where you you know have all of these movements of forces. The president of the United States not even informed. Um, in China, the, the general secretary of the Communist Party, Xi Jinping, knows about all of these low-level movements. So that really should suggest that uh, they're very, very concerned about a military officer taking over. It's a fascinating point, uh, Gordon, and, and one that uh, we ought to be intensifying. Their, their concerns, it seems to me, as part of a more comprehensive effort to deter these kinds of actions. Um, Gordon, let me switch gears. Uh, there is a report out that the Biden administration has now concluded that the Chinese intelligence services um, under the Ministry of State Security have been involved in. Uh, Gordon, let me turn to another topic with you, if I can. Uh, the Biden administration has uh, found, apparently, that the Chinese Communist Party has been implicated through its Ministry of State Security, its intelligence agency, um, in some of these ransomware attacks against us. Um, talk about what we know on that score and its implications. The Biden administration, along with NATO and the EU, um, this morning issued a statement um, attributing these attacks to the Ministry of State Security. Um, they uh, talk about a ring of um, criminal elements um, which are acting at the direction of and with the assistance of the Ministry of State Security. And they also mention um, something which is interesting in that the massive hack uh, this March on Microsoft Exchange email service 
that was a MSS operation. Um, really, what we're talking about is a much closer coordination between uh, the Chinese central government and criminal hackers in China than we see, for instance, in Russia. Um, now, the Biden administration is not taking the next step, which is to impose costs on China for these attacks. Um, but I would assume that this is uh, down the road um, and actually pretty soon. And the, one of the things that we should be saying is now that you've made this designation public, you you got to do something about it because otherwise you're saying, look, you know, you can violate, you can steal money from Americans, but we're not going to do anything about it. And especially since the administration has gone to some lengths to finger the Russians in this regard and to threaten action against Vladimir Putin's government for what's happening without, as you say, um, at least to this point, uh, the evidence that it's directly involved. Uh, Direct involvement by the MSS would seem to demand action by the United States in, in response. We'll be watching that closely, as I know will you, Gordon Chang. Let me ask you about another topic. You've spoken with us about it last week a little bit. You've um, embellished some of your thinking on it in The Hill, I believe, recently. Afghanistan. Talk a little bit about what the Chinese aspire to do there, Gordon, and whether it will simply find a way of filling a vacuum of power and to its benefit, or whether it will wind up running the same perilous risks that other so-called empires have uh, in that country, namely discover that it's their graveyard. Um, Beijing wants to dominate Afghanistan now that the United States is almost out of the country. Um, and of course, it wants the minerals. It's got a copper mine lease, um, which it hasn't been able to fully exploit. Um, it's looking also for lithium, gold, uranium. Um, Afghanistan is one big mineral deposit. Um, also, I think that it really wants um, to um, make sure that uh, Uyghurs don't have a sanctuary. You know, China's committing genocide and other crimes against humanity against them, and it wants to make sure that the Afghan government doesn't give them refuge. And also, um, of course, it, it wants uh, Afghanistan tied to its Belt and Road program. The problem for China is the problem it's already had, for instance, this week in Pakistan, um, where it was the target of uh, a terrorist attack. Um, China's involvement, deep involvement in Pakistan is not nearly as prob problematic as it would be in Afghanistan. You know, one other note, Frank, and that is that um, for a very long time, uh, China has given the United States propaganda grief over its involvement in Afghanistan. Um, but now, um, yes, it's still continuing to do that. But instead of criticizing us for being there, it's now criticizing us for leaving. And I think that it realizes its vulnerabilities, especially after this uh, most recent attack in Pakistan. Yeah. And you, you talk about there being, uh, even in the face of an uh, imminent, it seems, Taliban reconquest of basically the entirety of the country, the very high probability that there will be, as ever in Afghanistan, tribal uh, unrest and conflicts. And some of those may be uh, folks who would be only too happy to take out their aggravation with the Taliban on their new sponsors, uh, namely the Chinese Communist Party. No? Yes. Well, you know, China has very strong links with the Taliban, even to maintain them after 9-11. Um, and so uh, the Taliban is the strongest element in Afghanistan, and that gives China an advantage to dominating the country. But as you point out, the, the Taliban has enemies, and those enemies have now become enemies of China. 
And there's the issue of India. India is influential in Afghanistan as well. India has every reason to give China a hard time in Afghanistan, and has already done that. So, for instance, the beginning of this year, um, there was uh, the Haqqani network was exposed in an espionage ring. Um, it was Indian intelligence that gave the leads to the Afghan government um, that went after the Haqqani network, which, by the way, was working with China. Um, so um, India this year has already given China, uh, bedeviled them uh, with regard to exposing their operations in Afghanistan. It's going to get a lot worse as China becomes more powerful in Afghanistan. Gordon, I haven't asked you this question before and I'm hitting you cold on it, but uh, just be very interested in light of what you've said a moment ago about a motivation for the Chinese to insert themselves uh, in a significant way in Afghanistan, being their concern about Turkic minorities there causing them problems uh, in Xinjiang, as they call it, uh, East Turkestan, as uh, it has traditionally been known, namely the western reaches of uh, China that abut Afghanistan in part. What do you make of the fact that um, Muslims outside of China have generally been so quiet about the genocide that is being perpetrated against their Uyghur population and, and other Turkic minorities in the Xinjiang region, Gordon? Well, Beijing has worked very hard with uh, governments in Muslim-majority countries um, to buy them off. And it's even bought off, for instance, Turkey. Now, go back to 2009, Turkey was talking about genocide in China. Uh, now, Erdogan um, is um, quiet, supports Beijing, even extradites uh, Uyghur activists to China. Um, yeah, I think that in if you looked, if you were able to survey public opinion in Muslim countries, uh, they would be very supportive of the Uyghurs. Um, but they don't have a voice in many of these countries. And Beijing has worked very hard to smother um, you know, any sort of sense of support for Uyghurs and other um, Turkic minorities. Um, you know, this is one of those things that's going to blow up in Beijing's face at some point. Not now, because it's devoted a lot of effort to this, but eventually this cannot stand. It, it, it is striking when one hears endlessly in the West, particularly, uh, about Islamophobia being such a outrage and offense to Muslims that simply because of, well, as you say, corruption, um, many, if not virtually all of the Muslim nations outside of uh, the region especially are absolutely silent on what's going on in a manner that's not simply, uh, you know, uh, saying nasty things about Muslims, which is generally what they're aggrieved about, but actually, in some cases, murdering, and in other cases, uh, raping or torturing or simply horrifically incarcerating, genocidally, in fact, uh, slave labor and the rest, uh, Muslims in that part of the Ch Chinese-held uh, territory. I find it outrageous and uh, unspeakable, and I think we ought to be emphasizing you know, the need for Muslims to be joining those of us who are condemning the genocide in China. And by the way, um, joining us in boycotting the genocide games, which is what is now in prospect in February. Gordon, your thoughts on, on that? I believe the U.S. should be trying to convince the 
International Olympic Committee to move the 2022 Winter Games from Beijing to a country not tainted by genocide and other crimes against humanity. But also, uh, we need to uh, persuade the IOC to ban all Chinese participation in Olympics. The reason is this goes back to 1963 when the IOC banned participation by South Africa's teams. And the reason was because South Africa was preventing a substantial minority from participating in sport. Well, China is doing was worse than than what South Africa is doing with its Uyghurs and Tibetans. And so uh, I believe that it is wrong for the Chinese teams to participate, for instance, in the upcoming Tokyo Summer Games uh, and indeed all following Olympic uh, competitions until Beijing ends these um, crimes. Um, there's a, there's a lot that must be done. Um, we're not even talking about this right now at the Biden administration. Uh, so we need to pressure um, the White House on this. Yeah, I, I gather that to the contrary, they're indicating that they intend to support these games going forward and, and not any boycotts of them. Um, I'm struck, and the point that uh, I've been raising, Gordon, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this as well, if I could. Uh, the athletes themselves um, have obviously a stake in all of this, and the most prominent of which is they want to go and compete and win medals and so on. But um, there is now, I think, growing evidence with declarations by the Chinese that they will do virus testing, uh, that these athletes are going to have their DNA collected by the CCP. And almost certainly, as you've been warning about now, Gordon, for some time, that uh, DNA will wind up as part of their uh, Petri dish of uh you know, bioengineering programs for whether it's super athletes or super warriors. Uh, this should be of great concern, I would think, to the athletes as well as the rest of us. Yes, this looks like a one big DNA harvesting effort on the part of Beijing. And remember, it, it's not just uh, the development of uh, the new drugs for tomorrow. It's also um, a biological weapons effort um, because they are uh, as the Chinese military researchers have been saying for more than a decade, they're trying to develop, uh, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks. In other words, pathogens that will leave the Chinese immune, but will sicken and kill everybody else. Well, if you have the DNA of foreigners, which is what China's been hoovering up around the world, um, you have a ability to try to develop those uh, types of weapons. I don't know if they've succeeded yet. But the point is, they're trying to do this, and we should not be helping them. Amen. Gordon, as always, wonderful and insightful comments on so many various related topics concerning our security interests and uh, the threat posed to them by China. I appreciate you so much, my friend, and look forward to our visit with you again next week. In the meantime, stay well. Next up, we will speak with Bill Walton about some of the financial developments with respect to China that have a bearing on our security as well, including yours. More on that straight ahead. Visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney.